Welcome to What the If News, which I'm shouting because it's new. Uh, that's that's the only reason I got. How are you, Gabby? I am doing good. Uh, I suppose in the words of the BGs, I'm staying alive. Gabrielle Panicia from Rockefeller University is here, and uh, Gabby is our uh, virologist expert. We had Gabby on our regular show, which I um, generally upload on Fridays, and that's where uh, that show is called What the If, if you don't know it. And, and uh, there we usually spend, you know, 45 minutes or so um, exploring a scenario, a kind of made-up scenario in science. And from that, we learn a lot of science. Like, what if we turned off the gravity? What would happen then? And we explore it. And uh, when the coronavirus pandemic lockdown hit, uh, we suddenly found ourselves living in a what-the-if scenario. And uh, we brought on Gabby um, who did an incredible job. We did four episodes in a row, and I very much encourage you to go to whattheif.com and listen to those uh, detailed explorations of different topics about the virus. It was fantastic. And uh, then I just thought, you know, this is an ongoing event, so I thought uh, every Monday we would have Gabby back for uh, some virus news updates. And this week, Gabby, you brought us, I'll, I'll play the story here, the headline is, Study Finds Coronavirus Could Be More Contagious Than Previously Thought, which is alarming. That's a classic headline, actually. Um, but it's about, is the virus in the air, in the pollution? Let's play. So here, we, I'll play this, and then we will, Gabby will help us understand the news. This is from CBS News. And here we go. It's about two minutes. A new study shows coronavirus could be more contagious than previously thought. Scientists in Italy say that the virus has been detected in particles of air pollution, which allows it to be carried over long distances. Here's more from Chris Libsey. For the first time since the outbreak of the disease, Italians are now recovering from it faster than they're contracting it. And just as the government considers sending Italians back to work, a new study warns of yet another hazard of COVID-19. As the debate rages worldwide about when to send people back to work, a new report says COVID-19 could be even more contagious than we thought. It's been detected on tiny particles of air pollution called particulate matter, especially high in industrial areas. The report, published in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health, recommends everyone wear masks because without one, six feet of social distance isn't nearly enough. The distance could be longer and even seven, eight or even ten meters. That's more than 30 feet. If, uh, Professor Prisco Piscitelli and his Italian colleagues believe the microscopic particles could act as transport, carrying the virus over long distances. They studied the industrial area around Milan, which has the worst air quality in Europe, as well as one of the highest rates of COVID-19 contagion and deaths. It's no coincidence, says Professor Leandro Setti, that industrial areas around the world have reported some of the deadliest outbreaks. Places like Wuhan in China, places like New York in the United yeah, States. Totally. New York, for example, is another example. The study does not conclude how infectious the virus is when carried by pollution particles, something they're now exploring in phase two. Meanwhile, they say heightened prevention is the only solution. Social distancing, wearing masks, and dramatically reducing smog. 
Uh, we have to keep lower the emission of uh, uh, particulate matters because it is not safe for our health. Another thing the scientists told me is that yes, industrial areas are more at risk, but no matter where you are, you can never really tell exactly how safe the air is to breathe. So if there are other people around, always wear a mask. Chris Livesay, CBS News, Rome. That's kind of a scary thing. You, you and I are both, although you, you are not currently in New York, but uh, your university is in New York. Help us understand this story. Yeah, so I, I have a couple main takeaways, and some of this has to do with sort of innately how they looked at it. So the the news piece doesn't go into too much depth about what the researchers actually did. Um, so it says they detected virus on um, particular matter, essentially air pollution. Um, but what they actually did was they were they found RNA essentially, which is like the the genes of the virus, and they were able to amplify out one gene. They pulled out something from the virus essentially the genes of the virus but viruses are very delicate they have you know they need all of their respective components the outside layer um the inside to all be working correctly um and so if you just pull out essentially like the heart of this virus it doesn't mean the rest of it's still intact and hanging around it could just be you know a disembodied piece of rna so without knowing whether or not that piece on that air particle was actually able to generate an infection, you don't necessarily really know if it is traveling by air pollution. It clearly points to that virus did come in contact with air pollution. But essentially, you can recover what they essentially got back RNA if a sick person sneezed on a countertop and then, I don't know, however many years or, you know, not years, probably hours later, you just swab that countertop. The virus may all be dead by that point in time, but you can still probably get the genetic material off of that. So it's like the innards of the virus yep. or just some piece. Yeah, some piece of the virus. Or or is it it's specifically actually what you're saying is it's specifically the gene genetic material of the virus that they're finding. So there may be part of other parts of the virus. I don't know, the outer skin or shell or something. Yeah, other parts that are missing. Yeah, the, exactly. So um, how do we get to the next step? What are they going to have to do to figure out if... Because one thing we always say is, I was actually imagining yesterday, in fact, this would be a what-the-if scenario for our other show. If it was really in the air, like that would be terrifying. We would have to, We would not only have to be inside, I suppose, but sealing up our windows and all kinds of things. So how... What's the level of concern here and how do they figure out whether they can rule that out? So this is one of those weird cases in science where we can't really rule it out, but we also can't necessarily fully rule it in either yet. So I think like the logical next step is, OK, well, you take some of these air particles that you've collected from, you know, out in the infected wild, you might say, of uh, whatever city they, they got it from. I think it was Milan. Um, and you try to infect like a ferret or some other susceptible animal with it. Um, because then you'll be able to, you know, more conclusively say, hey, there is actual live virus on these air particles. Um, and then I guess the other one would be to do sort of the reverse, which I don't know if you would want to do because you don't want to generate aerosols of virus in a lab. But if you tried to generate, you know, aerosols that you stuck to particulate matter that was in the air and then infected on it, then you at least have like a more controlled proof of concept. But those are the two things that I would think are sort of probably well within their next steps. 
I feel like we would know right now. Like, it sounds like it, what they'd be saying is, if this is a factor, it's a subtle factor or something? Or In other words, if it was in the air, wouldn't we know? I mean, if it was... I feel like it probably is a subtle factor. I mean, or, like original SARS. Classic, classic SARS. Classic SARS, you know, original flavor SARS um, <laughs> could spread very, very easily through the air. Essentially, I think I remember hearing that there was like one apartment complex where one sick person infected not only their entire apartment building through the air vents, it also infected the neighboring apartment building because just like air transmission of like the vents. Um, I don't, you know, there are sick people in my building in New York and I haven't caught it just by, you know, central air. Um, So I, I think that would be something that we would notice. And I also think it's, you know, maybe a potentially correlation thing that big cities, yes, tend to have more air pollution because there are more people in there, you know, more cars coming in and out. Um, so how much of that is actually cause and effect? Like if there was a giant industrial city where it's predominantly robots doing all of your manufacturing, but it's still cranking out smog and all of the people there are somehow still sick, that would definitely point to maybe it's transmitting on the smog. Um, but, you know, industrialized cities also tend to be where the people are and the people are sick. So... It might be like a correlation thing as opposed to like a causation thing. So you, you talked you've talked in the past about zoonotic. Is that how you pronounce it? Zoonotic. Mm-hmm. Zoonotic. Yeah. Zoonotic transmission where the virus jumped from one species to another. When viruses jump from robots to humans, <laughs> that's going to be amazing and, <laughs> and, and bad. Well, I mean, then then that might warrant a robot uprising because then, you know, we got them sick and I would get I would be pissed off. About oh, that. if it went the other robot. way. Yeah. Exactly. I was thinking it coming to humans from robots, but you're right. Yes, if we got them sick, absolutely. They have every right to rebel. I give you permission to rebel. Um, and uh, the last, we'll just sort of end on on sort of very practical matter because uh, we do, we are in New York and we do go out. Um, and this weekend, we go out with masks on and we walk around and we stay away from groups, um, try to keep a distance. But this weekend, it was beautiful, and so everybody was out. And the park had a lot of people. Basically, I look out on a field, and I see people having picnics, small groups. So let's say those are people, is it they have agreed to infect each other? <laughs> it doesn't seem like they all live in the same house. But each group, I will say this, each blanket is far away from other blankets, so it's a very spread out picnic situation. But what's going on? Like, I don't know. Is that dangerous? Do I should I be mad or should I not? I feel like that's something where, like, you know, if you don't know enough about their situation. So you can, for example, form closed groups where essentially, you know, my my apartment is one closed group because, you know, we don't leave the apartment. Um, But if my other friend two floors up also doesn't leave his apartment, we're essentially isolated social groups. So we could blend them. But as long as it's one of these things where, well, how do you know someone else isn't also making that exception for someone else? And as long as you can really thoroughly account for the boundaries of your social group, um, especially like if, if it's small, that's a little bit more reasonable. I mean, especially like, you know, sanity wise, if you need to see another person so you don't go crazy, that, you know, it's fairly understandable. I think one of the concerns, though, is that, you know, sure, you're, you're, you might be quite far apart from each other. But you're also staying there for a while. Um, yeah, that's right. Hours and hours. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't necessarily know, like, it, it might be better to keep moving, to be on a walk and also remaining six feet away from people as opposed to sitting down and then sort of, I don't know, being 
downwind of someone. Never, never a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> never a good idea to be downwind of people for too long. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's something where we don't have a good, we don't have good data on this per se, because there's, you can't control for this. You, you can't tell, well, you know, all of these people went and had a picnic. How do we know that they were correctly socially distancing, that they didn't just get it from someone in their group? You know, it's something that we don't have data for. So I, I would say, you know, wear your masks, be cautious. And just because it's nice, don't forget that there's still a plague on. Because, I mean, that's something that I noticed. It was so nice this last weekend. Um, but people were walking around like it was the middle of a regular summer. It's like, no, the mask is going to be hot, but you got to leave that on. Because, you know, I feel much better if you're not coughing directly into this nice, warm, open air where I can also breathe it in. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday was surreal. It was like 72 degrees, 35% humidity or something, which is very low for New York. It was just beautiful. And I was thinking, I was like, it's so weird to, even though we saw everyone wearing masks, I was like, that's weird because it seems like there's nothing wrong. Why are the, the weird, the thing that was wrong was that everybody was wearing masks. Like what is that? Whereas any other natural disaster, there would be flooding, or fires, right? There'd be something everybody would be experiencing, which we're not. It's like, oh, we're all experiencing this beautiful day where there may be an invisible killer. Yeah, it's a very like social phenomenon. I've yeah. noticed. But yeah. I, I think get the feeling this is gonna be uh our like polio summer. Like back when polio was a thing, there would just be entire summers where, you know, outside was vacant because there were polio outbreaks. So for us, I, I think that this is gonna be our equivalent. Polio has a really high R naught. It's very, very transmissible. Right, um, like measles too. Right, measles. Yeah, like measles. So there. I mean, it was another one of those viruses where if someone you know had like got it and you had seen them any time in the last couple of days, you had polio too. Um, if wow. you were vaccinated or had gotten, had beaten it as a kid or something. Right. Right. Um, ah, polio summer. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> there was Woodstock, and then there was polio summer. Hopefully we will get through this. So wear your mask, stay out. The sunshine also is helpful, right? The sunshine sunshine does kill the virus fairly quickly, but you can't count on that. Yeah, it's not going to cure you. It's not going to cure you. Yeah, that's the thing, right? If you've got it, definitely not. Um, Gabby, thank you so much. This is so helpful to people to get these. Because I, I feel like, and, and listeners, uh, write in. Uh, you can email us at feedback at whattheif.com with your own questions. And I feel like one of my uh, great privileges, and, and I'm grateful that you're, you agree to come on and, and help me and help the audience understand, is that I can ask like the super dumb basic questions <laughs> that even the TV news, which the TV news has a pretty low bar. I mean, to their credit, they're trying to explain it to a vast number of people, but there are still certain basic things that we don't get to ask. So that's super helpful. So write in, send us your questions. If there's a news story you've been uh, following or you've seen and you want to know something about, uh, again, email us, feedback at whattheif.com. Go to our website, whattheif.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at whattheifshow. And we are on Facebook, What the If page. Gabby, is there anything uh, this week you want to plug, you want to highlight? Yeah, actually. So I, I've been pretty thoroughly plugging my university science outreach program, Rock EDU. Huh. Um, and what's really neat is one of the things that they're doing is a program called Data for the People, where, you know, 
you hear about all of these scientific papers that come out about this and are being honestly cranked out. It's really impressive, the pace of science. But it's really daunting to read them by yourself. So what Rocky DU is doing is having people, essentially scientists from the university, go through step by step and break down all of these scientific papers. Wow. Um, so we're covering the news as it gets boiled down, but they're actually going and looking at some of the admittedly more daunting figures, but they make it really accessible and it's, you know, open. You can ask questions. So it's something that you have to register for. Uh, so any Rock EDU page you can go on, like, for example, their Instagram, it's just rockedu underscore. Um, and then they provide the link for you to register uh, in case you want sort of a more hands-on, you know, really nitty-gritty science stuff. Right, right. And if you if you forget or you're not sure, all you can also just Google Rockefeller University, I assume, and you will... Um... Yep. Rockefeller University, Rock EDU, it pops up. Very cool. And yeah, Rock EDU. What a great name. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> School of Rock. Thank you, Gabby. Wonderful. Um, I look forward to having you back next week. And I hope you stay well, everyone there and your family and all your, everyone in your isolated groups. Yes. <laughs> may you, yeah, may your isolated groups remain isolated. Thank you. Be well, everybody. Keep in touch. <laughs>